I want to talk to you about a very important part of our lives as Christians today, a part that we normally just gloss over in Scripture, but we really need to be aware of what the word covenant means and what it requires of us as sons and daughters of the King. The title of my message today is God's Divine Deal, and this will be God's blueprint for covenant relationships, covenant relationships. The word covenant is used over 200 times in the Holy Bible. A covenant is a binding agreement between two individuals or entities. Our English word contract would be a rough equivalent of the word covenant. In street language, covenant was a deal. You remember the television show, Let's make a deal. We want to make a deal. We want to get the best price. We want to get the most for the least amount of money we can spend. But that is not the kind of divine deal that the architect offers us today. A biblical covenant was indeed a divine deal. It was a can't lose deal. And we must accept that deal to be all and to have all that God wants us to have. The Old Testament term for the word covenant is bereath, which means to cut. In other words, there could be no commitment, there could be no covenant, there could be no relationship without the shedding of blood. On, on this Memorial Day, I think of sacrifice. Greater love hath no man than this than he lay down his life for his friends. You can't have a covenant relationship without sacrifice. Somebody say amen. It was used of nations and their treaties of peace and friendship between individuals as a pledge or agreement between a monarch or king and his people, similar to our constitution today here in America. Divine deal is for God and for man. In the Bible, the stronger party set the terms of this divine deal. Our primary concern is with God's divine nature and the plans that he has for us. What is God's covenant with us? Very few people understand what authentic commitment and covenant really looks like. I've dedicated this message today to Mr. Jim Biggs who's been my friend for 14 years and traveled the world with me. I love him dearly. Now, it's his 52nd birthday. And, but I met him 13 years ago and he was 52 then. And every year since when I ask him how old he is, he tells me he's 52. I, he must have had the fountain of youth here at, at Abba's house. But I do dedicate this message to him because he's been a covenant brother to me through good times and bad. But Jehovah has chosen to bind himself to us in the form of covenant. Aren't you grateful for that? That Jehovah sent his son, Jesus, to shed his blood on Calvary to bereath, to bleed, so that our sin debt could be paid in full. He didn't wait for us to clean up and become good Pentecostals or good Baptists while we were yet sinners. 
Christ died for us. He didn't wait for us to become like him. He became like us and took the punishment we deserved, bled and died and fulfilled every Hebraic prophecy that we might live free and fully alive. So Jehovah has bound himself to us in a covenant. The Bible is the book of the covenant and Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant having shed his blood for us. First Timothy chapter two, beginning with verse five, for there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. One of my favorite stories in the Old Testament about friendship illustrates the moment of covenant agreement between Jonathan and David. This is an old covenant picture of new covenant relationship. Jonathan was the son of King Saul. Jonathan was heir to the throne. Jonathan was the great leader of the Israeli army. He won the battle of Michmash. He had all the prerequisites to be a great king. But he saw something in a young shepherd boy from the backside of nowhere whose mom was a loose woman and his daddy was ashamed of it, named David. Jonathan saw something in his friend that couldn't be explained, saw something so powerful that he was willing to lay aside his own destiny, lay aside his own robes, his own armor, his own prerogatives, so that David might walk in the fulfillment of God's plan for his life. It was so powerful, Jonathan didn't care what he was losing, all he could think about was what he was gaining. You see, if you're ever gonna be in a real friendship, see some of y'all think you have friends because in this Facebook culture, everybody's your friend and everybody's, it's really a bunch of malarkey. You're never really gonna figure out who your friends are until hell comes knocking at your door till everybody else runs away from you, the few that stay with you, those are your friends. You got fair weather friends and you got friends that want to be by you when you're on top, but pay attention to the ones around you when you're on bottom and ride with those as long as you can. Jonathan had it all. He'd been called by some theologians the uncrowned king because of all that he gave up. Him and David are the perfect picture of covenant relationship. Just to give you some background, 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel is where you can read about this entire story. But in 1 Samuel chapter 16, young David is anointed king early by Samuel. You remember that chapter, we get the verse, for the man looks on outward appearance but the Lord looks on the heart. David is given God's spirit and the spirit of a king in that chapter. But in that same chapter, the spirit departs from King Saul. You see, God cannot crown two people for the same position at one time. He can, but he won't. The spirit has to leave one to rest on another. And you see that in chapter 16. Israel wanted a king, but they didn't want God's king. And whenever a nation longs for a certain kind of leader and think they know better than God, you end up in a mess. 
and they longed for Saul. They didn't wait for God. And Saul started off doing a wonderful job. But then humanity got the best of him and he began to lose his mind. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, this young shepherd boy defeats Goliath, the Philistine. A powerful setting. Not only does he defeat him, he does that in front of the army, in front of his soon-to-be friend Jonathan, who although Jonathan was a great leader and warrior, he was fearful of Goliath. King Saul was fearful of Goliath, but this young shepherd boy with a slingshot said, I ain't scared of you. God is with me. And God has called me to greatness. And he defeats this Philistine. And not only does he defeat him, he cuts the head off. Because in that culture, whenever you cut the head off, that meant you were required to gather the spoils. So David understood, not only am I going to beat this Philistine and kill this Philistine, I'm about to become wealthy. Because since I'm the one that got him, I get to collect the spoils. You would think that King Saul in this interaction would have been thrilled that God had defeated this evil Goliath. But jealousy crept in. The people began to chant, oh, David, you know, has killed his thousands and King Saul has killed his thousands, but they did it in a way where the, the number for David was larger and it began to mess with Saul. They like him more than me. He began to get paranoid. Now don't look at me spiritual because any human being not governed by the Holy Spirit can become a hater. Any human being can become jealous of God's blessing on someone else's life. And although David had been anointed king, Saul was still king and instead of embracing young David as a spiritual son, he allowed that paranoia to grow thicker and thicker and thicker. He even tries to get David to be under his control by marrying his daughter. And so at one time, he didn't want the first one Saul wanted to give him, so he ended up with Michal. But you know, that's in-law control. Maybe if I get him married to my daughter, I can control this, this guy. He won't be such a threat to me. In chapter 18, our text, he begins to resent David. In the midst of his anger, something powerful happens. The heir to the kingdom of Israel, who had won his own battles, makes a covenant with David. Listen to what the word of God says. Now when he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Saul took him that day and would not let him go home to his father's house anymore. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan took off the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor, even to his sword and his bow and his belt. So David went out wherever Saul sent him and behaved wisely. 
And Saul set him over the men of war, and he was accepted in the sight of all people, and also in the sight of Saul's servants. Now it had happened as they were coming home when David was returning from the slaughter of the Philistine that the women who had come out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with joy and musical instruments. Saul has slain his thousand and David his ten thousands. Then Saul became very angry. The saying displeased him and he said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands and to me only thousands. Now what more can he have but the kingdom? So check this out. Saul eyed David from that day forward. Whenever you accomplish something in the kingdom or something heroic, you are going to gain people who admire your courage and people who hate your guts for your courage. And it happened on the next day that the distressing spirit from God came upon Saul and he prophesied inside the house. So David played music with his hand as at other times, but there was a spear in Saul's hand and Saul cast the spear for he said, I will pin David to the wall. But David escaped his presence twice. Now Saul was afraid of David because, check this out, what? The Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. Therefore Saul removed him from his presence and made him captain over a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people. And again, David behaved wisely in all his ways. And the Lord again was with David. Therefore, when Saul saw that he behaved very wisely, he was afraid of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he went out and came in before them. First thing I want to talk to you about is the process of commitment. The process. Everybody say it's a process. Jonathan, though a warrior, he, he was fearful to go against Goliath. He had seen David go up against Goliath and accomplish this heroic feat. And after the victory, Jonathan heard David's voice. This is important. His conversation with his father. The scripture says that when he heard the voice, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. The word knit is translated in the Bible to bind. Jonathan's life was bound to David. A relationship was established that nothing would ever sever or break. It is important to notice that this didn't happen overnight. Let me give you the process of covenant, if I may. The first thing that must happen in a covenant is a victory must be observed. If you're gonna form a covenant with someone, if you want to have that soul-to-soul -soul connection, if you want to have that love connection, that bond, then you need to have witnessed a victory. In other words, just as in the Bible times, the person with the most power always has the most authority during the early stages of commitment. The person with the most wealth, the most power, has the overall say as to how the covenant is to begin. Not how it's to end, but how it's to begin. So you have Jonathan. This David can do nothing for Jonathan. Absolutely nothing. But 
He had enough insight and enough kingdom in him and on him to see the hand of God on David. So the first thing is a victory was observed. Next, because of that victory, there became affection. In other words, God's with this man. I've seen him accomplish something. I'm now called to this man. I have an affection. And Jonathan next, this is important, bear with me. He submitted to the voice of David. Do you realize how hard it must have been for the prince who is going to be king, who has access to all the money, all the women, everything he could ever want. He doesn't want for anything. He's a pretty bad warrior himself. I mean, this guy doesn't need anything, but he submits to the voice of a shepherd boy that has just defeated a giant because of the spirit of God and because the stronger person submitted we then have a covenant, a binding agreement. It is the same thing that we are faced with today. A stronger force, Abba Father. He couldn't get anything from us, but he sent his very best down to this earth to be beaten and die to take back the dominion that was lost in the Garden of Eden so that we could live free and fully alive. The stronger presence came down and made a covenant with us. That is what we are faced with today. That's why it says in Philippians, Jesus took on the form of a slave becoming one of us. He became one of us to pay the price for us. You see, I get eerie when People want something out of a relationship before the relationships had time to develop. I don't even hardly know you. You want me to what? The greatest relationships are the ones God gets in the center of. The greatest covenants are the one God ordains the one God puts his spirit on. It's not one person with an agenda versus another agenda and how can we help each other and better each other and make more money. I'm talking about when God gets involved supernaturally. When God gets involved supernaturally. David marched off the battlefield of Elah as a victor. And when he marched off that battlefield, it started a process in Jonathan's life and his walk. It began when Jonathan observed the victory of David. Next, commitment came when he responded to David's voice. It says in the text that Jonathan heard the voice of David and loved him. He heard the voice. You see, I don't wanna be in covenant with anybody that doesn't respond well to my voice. Are you with me? The Bible says my sheep hear my voice. I'm not gonna be in covenant if my voice doesn't mean something to you. And you don't need to be in covenant with someone if your voice doesn't mean something to them. Your voice matters. And the voice of David did something in Jonathan. When one achieves something heroic, that person becomes a person of honor. 
And now what that person says has a different meaning. You can say something in one season and no one respond to it. But if you say something in the right season, people will respond to it. I'll never forget when I started preaching. I preached a message. I worked really hard on it. I was preaching like four or five uh, sermons on Sunday night. It was a series. I preached this message. I remember it like it was yesterday. It became one of my staples I preached on the road. I'm not going to tell you because it was here. And I preached this message, and man, nobody responded to it. I didn't get an amen. It was deader than 4 o'clock. Back, I was in my 20s, and I thought, man, I thought this was good, you know. It must have just stunk. And so I kind of just put, the, put it in a file and saved it on my computer and left it alone. Four or five years later, I preached it. Had a huge altar call. Didn't change one thing. Not even one comma. But here's the difference. People couldn't hear my heart the first time I preached it. But when I was elevated in position, the message hit different. Is anybody with me in here this morning on Memorial Day? When you can, you can say things and be right, but be out of season. But if you're in the right season being led by the Spirit, there should be a response to your voice. David received honor from Jonathan by this one act. Jesus received the rank as our king by just one act, the death, burial, and resurrection. He received the honor that he is worthy of by one act. Number two, the passion of commitment. We talked about the process. Let's talk about the passion. It says Jonathan loved David as his own soul. They were bound by love bound by love. The basis for our commitment to Jesus Christ this Memorial Day should be love and sacrifice. That's what binds us to our Savior, that we deny ourselves, pick up our cross, and follow after him. That is the passion that every Christian should have. Believe me, this old boy in my flesh, I want to get up here and I want to cuss and rip about a few things that have went on this week from this pulpit today. But I am not going to. I'm going to let Jesus defend this church and defend me and defend our rich history. Why? Because the Spirit has bound me by love. And I know if I respond the way Ronnie wants to respond, the Spirit will not be made manifest in my life. There's something that's binding me into agreement with the Spirit. Sometimes I don't even like it. I wish I was in elementary school again and could hit somebody in the cheek and fracture it. When they mess with my family and mess with my kids and mess with my church, ah, but greater is he that is in me. I've been bound by love in the form of a covenant and I have to trust that God's word is true. I'm not just bound by love, but I'm bound for life. David and Jonathan were bound for life. The Hebrew word covenant means to cut. They literally had a blood covenant where they grabbed hands. And think of all that Jonathan went through with David. I mean, Saul's trying to kill him. David's in the wilderness. Jonathan is sneaking out to the wilderness to visit David to encourage him against his own daddy's wishes. His own dad threw a spirit at him because of his covenant with David. 
Tell you, sometimes when you come in covenant with the son of David, your own family will try to kill you for it. They try to kill you with slander. They try to kill you with their attitude because I'm telling you to follow Jesus, it may even cost you your own family. Bound by love, bound for life. Listen to what it says. 1 Samuel 20, verse 41. After the boy had gone, David got up from the south side of the stone and bowed down before Jonathan three times with his face to the ground. Then they kissed each other, wept together, but David wept the most. Jonathan said to David, go in peace, for we have sworn friendship with each other in the name of the Lord, saying the Lord is witness between you and me and between your descendants and my descendants forever. Then David left and Jonathan went back to the town. It was a covenant of friendship. Everybody say that with me, a covenant of friendship. I preached this before. There are three kinds of people you'll meet in your life, soulmates, teammates, and cellmates. Soulmates are the people who are for you. They're for you. They're not for the organization. They're for you. You could ruin your life. They're going to love you for you. Soulmates. Bound together, soul to soul. They're for you. Then there are teammates. Teammates, they're not against you. They're for what you're for, but they're not necessarily for you. Don't shout me down while I'm preaching good. And see, I find it's funny in church because people don't read the Bible. If they did, they'd understand that everything on this earth is going to be crumbled down. So worshiping organizations and even campuses is really not biblical. You better attach yourself to a David if you want to be blessed. That's free. Soulmates. Then there are teammates. Teammates are not against you. Their teammates are in your life for a season. You're going to compete for a season, serve together for a season, have victories and defeats in the season. But when that season's over, they're gone. They were for what you were for in that season. I had somebody tell me, Pastor, I'm with you as long as you, you do right. I said, I don't mean to offend you, but I don't really need you with me when I'm doing right. I need you with me when I blow it. I don't really need you when all's going well. That's easy to be friends with somebody when everything's going good. What about when all hell breaks loose? Bound by love, bound for life, covenant of friendship, soulmates, teammates, and then there's cellmates. And these people you got to depart from. These people who are in a prison of their own stinking thinking, whether it's religion, addiction, whatever it is, and they will only celebrate you if you stay in the same prison cell that they're in. But the moment you kick aside those doors and those bars and you start walking in the freedom that is Jesus Christ, these people will hate on you. They were only your friends because you were in the same miserable hell that they were living in. When you get out of it and you start walking in the freedom that's yours in Jesus Christ, those people begin to... Soulmates, cellmates, and teammates. Let me tell you some things about friendship. We'll close this thing down. A true friend runs towards you and everyone else runs away from you. A true friend will encourage you to stay the course. It says in the word of God that Jonathan went to the wilderness after David to encourage him. And what did he say to David? Don't be afraid. My father Saul will not lay a hand on you. You will be, come on somebody, king over Israel. And I will be second to you. Even my father Saul knows this. 
He went out there to encourage him. I'm telling you, a true friend, when everybody runs away from you, they run towards you. A true friend, when they do come into your life, they encourage you. They build you up. They're not like Job's friends, Bildad, Zophar, and Eliphaz. They don't have a religious spirit. They're not in there trying to diagnose you. They're trying to deliver you. You don't need people to diagnose you. You need somebody that's got an anointing to deliver you. Last, a true friend will never be envious of your elevation. Jonathan said, look, I'll be second to you. Although in this kingdom, it's mine to inherit, I'll be second to you. Because we have a covenant and I know God will bless me more in alignment, in authority, in the right place he has for me than what the world has for me. How do you know if they're a true friend when everybody else runs away, they run towards you? They'll never be envious of your elevation and they'll encourage you to endure the hardships and stay the course of what God's called you to do. It's a covenant of friendship. It was a covenant of faithfulness. And it's a covenant that lasts forever. One of my favorite stories and one of my favorite things to preach is a chapter later in 2 Samuel 9. There's a young boy who's the son of this Jonathan named Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth means shame unto you because King Saul and his son Jonathan died on the battlefield. They died. And back in that season, if you died, the rule was all your descendants had to be murdered in order for the new king to really take the throne and put his people in place. So this five-year-old little boy is being led out of town by the nursemaid. She drops him. He becomes crippled in both of his feet. And his name is shame unto you. And crippled people or sick people, they would all be put in isolation in that day. So he gets sent off to this place called Lodabar. Lodabar means the dry place. Everybody say dry place. So he gets sent off to the dry place. His name is shame unto you. He's living in the house of Meshur, which means slavery. So he's in bondage, in a dry place, crippled, forgotten about. But then one day, and just go with my imagination, I, I think David's sitting at the king's chair at the table. And I think David reaches for his goblet of wine and he, he sees that blood line on his hand from where he made a covenant with his best friend. And he says, is there anybody in the house of Saul that I can show favor to, love and kindness, kissed to? He says, yeah, there's this old cripple in this place called Lodabar. He's Jonathan's boy, Saul's grandson. He's, he's pretty far away. David says, bring him here. Mephibosheth is so scared to even approach the king, he's afraid he's going to die. He even says to the king, look, why do you want to bless a dead dog like me? What David do the same thing Jesus has done for us? He gave Mephibosheth a seat at the king's table and not just Mephibosheth, all his boys, the whole village. He gave them property. He gave them a seat at his table and he reigned with David because Jonathan didn't get to. I'm telling you the decisions you make today have a generational impact. Your grandchildren could be blessed off the decision you make today. Your children's children 
I don't care if you're in the dry place in bondage where you've been in a place called Lodabar or you're crippled in mind or crippled in body. The king is calling. And the king, number three, has paid the price for commitment. The price for commitment. The blood was shed on Calvary for us to enter in covenant with Jesus Christ. David paid the price for Mephibosheth. Jesus has paid the price for us. Jonathan laid all of his prerogatives and all of his deity down at the feet of David. But in order to be saved, you gotta lay all your mindset, your past, your junk down at the feet of Jesus and take your seat at his table today as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. It is a divine deal. You can't lose with this deal. But there's only one way to walk in the favor of this deal, and that is to accept it all and to be willing to give it all. You can't half do it. You can't hedge your bet. You got to go all in with Jesus. All in. For the wages of sin is death. Romans 6, 23, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 knowing that you are ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. I believe the king is calling today, is offering us a deal. For non-Christians, it's a deal to come in covenant with the king, to take a seat at his table, to be saved, to be forgiven, to spend eternity in heaven. For Christians, it's understanding the kingdom and being willing to take a chance on new relationships. Being willing, if you're the stronger party, to reach down and believe in someone that can't do anything for you. Come on out of his house. If we're gonna be the church God has called us to be, we can't do that with our nose in the air. We have got to reach down and help the next generation become who they are supposed to be, even if it means we take a back seat so that they can walk in the anointing and gifting. It is spiritual maturity to get out of the way and to become a support system, not a stumbling block. And some of you, you haven't done this intentionally, but I want you to do this today. Those of you who are Christians, during this altar call, I want you to pray that God would give you the eyes to see those who need a mentor, those who need a big sister, big brother. God would give you the eyes to see, give you the resources to help them become all that God has called them to be. Would you stand on your feet, Abba's house? Pastors, if you'd come into position with me, First thing we're going to do, if you need Jesus, you want to accept this divine deal, pray this prayer with me. Have his house help me. Dear Lord Jesus, Lord, forgive me of my sins. Please come into my heart and save me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and use me for your glory. If you prayed that prayer, I don't want you to sissy around about it. Run down here. In just a moment, as they sing and say, I made Jesus Lord of my life. The Bible says, if you'll not confess me in front of men, I'll not confess you in front of my Father. So I encourage you to come here, come to the next steps table, make that decision today. Take advantage of that divine deal. But some of you, 
you're kind of in neutral as a Christian. Oh, there's already somebody coming. Come on, let's hear it for him. God's going to bless you for that. Somebody else ought to be joining him. Listen, some of you are stuck in neutral in the kingdom. Brother Clarence, would you, would you help that young man right there? Just walk out towards him. There we go. You're stuck in neutral. You're saved. You know you're going to heaven, but you're not doing nothing with it. I want you to shift today. I want you to shift into kingdom today. I want you to take the Jonathan mantle of looking past your own identity, your own blessing, and your own gifting, and start trying to locate people who you can help become all that God's called them to be. On this Memorial Day where we celebrate the sacrifice of so many, why don't we become people of sacrifice that are willing to lay aside our prerogatives to see other people rise and be what God's called them to be? Lift your hands up, would you? Father God, I anoint this house in the area of discipleship and mentorship. Lord, I pray that the mantle of Jonathan, the uncrowned king, would fall on this place today in power and in glory. Lord, that there'd be mentorship meetings going on at coffee shops, bookstores. They wouldn't have to be planned or organized. Lord, that the Holy Spirit would just fall on this place and we begin to help people in the community and mentor people and bring people up to their divine destiny. Father God, I decree it and call it done in the name of Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need ministry, healing, want to join this church, maybe you want to make a covenant with us. I don't need any more fair weather, wimpy church people. I'm just being real. Can I be real? I only want people God's called here. Because if God brings you here, I can't get rid of you. But if you bring you here, you'll leave and create me a mess. And I don't want any more mess. So if God's calling you, we want you, and we'll help you. If that's you, you come today. Let's worship.